I think we are all uh, very grateful for those who serve us in the children's ministry under the direction of Pastor Hoffmeyer and, and Kim Rolquam. In fact, just a thank you to Kim and to Zach Hoffmeyer for putting together that little clip of uh, our teachers. Thank you for doing that. That was wonderful. And teachers and helpers, everybody who works in the children's ministry, thank you for the way that you are serving the church by serving our children and caring for them um, week by week in the way that you do. So thank you so much for that. And of course, there's another uh, very special group of people that we want to say thank you to today, um, without whom we wouldn't have a children's ministry, because without them, we wouldn't have children. And of course, that's our moms. And we want to be obviously thankful for them every day. But uh, today is a very special day for us to communicate our gratitude and to say thanks to our moms. Um, moms, I received uh, several weeks ago from someone here in church um, a collection of letters, uh, letters written by children to God. And as I was thinking about Mother's Day this year, I thought that you might be able to relate to some of these. So let me just share a couple. This is from a little girl named Nan, and she writes, Dear God, I bet it is very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. Love, Nan. Or this one, which I thought was kind of cute. This is from a little girl named Joyce. She says, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. Love, Joyce. And then, moms, I'm guessing you can really relate to this last one. This is from uh, Larry. He writes, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. That works with me and my brother. Love, Larry. Uh, moms, I thought you might be able to relate and get a kick out of that at least a little bit. Um, and moms, we want to say to you, for all the work that you do and for all that you put up with, uh, we thank you ever so much. Happy Mother's Day to you. I also want to just share with you all some good news about a new mom and dad. Uh, this past week, actually, it was last Saturday, May 2nd, uh, Kyle and Hannah Stevenson welcomed a little boy uh, into their family, Louis James. I think it was nine pounds, eight ounces, if I remember correctly. So he sounds like a healthy little boy. Uh, congratulations to you, Kyle and Hannah. We're so thrilled. Um, let me just say a brief word about what I shared with you this past week in the uh, Wednesday email, the Wednesday letter. I received quite a bit of response, again, from that letter, um, basically thanking us as pastors for thinking about um, what's going to happen in, in the weeks ahead. But at the very same time, there was just an awful lot of expression of sadness uh, about the fact that um, when we get together, uh, it's just not going to be exactly like the way it was uh, when we were together before. I, I do think we need to begin to kind of prepare ourselves mentally and emotionally for that reality. That was kind of the purpose of that letter. Um, I, I tend to be uh, an optimistic guy. But uh, we are trying to be as realistic as possible. And I think that as we see what is likely going to be the reality for some months ahead, we just are going to need to adjust our expectations a little bit. But I want to say something very clearly this morning. There is goodness ahead for us. 
I do believe we're going to get back to a good normal. In fact, maybe we're going to get back to an even better normal because I wouldn't be surprised at all if we come back with a greater appreciation for some things that we get to do when we're together. Um, no matter what, we know uh, we know that God will shepherd us. We know that God will care for us. We know that God will provide for everything that we need. Um, I can say that with just absolute confidence. There is goodness ahead for us. And that's not just my optimism speaking. Um, that's my theology, I hope, speaking. Uh, my belief in God and my understanding of what God is, life, is like. I know we talk a lot about how God is sovereign over what's going on in the world today. And that's exactly right. Uh, but we need to remember, let's remember that God is sovereign also over all of the good and the happy days as well. And I believe there are good and happy days ahead of us. All right, would you now take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Um, this week, we're going to look at just a, a, a short passage. Last week, we looked at uh, almost the entirety of a long chapter. We looked at 44 verses last week. This week, just three verses. Uh, but they are very significant verses with a uh, pretty potent truth, simple but potent truth. John chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 24 through 26. You follow along. Uh, this is God's word. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's just pray together. God, help us now, I pray, to hear your word rightly. And I pray that you would help us to respond to your word rightly. We ask you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are doing this series that we've called Words of Life from Jesus. We're taking our cue from something that Peter said. Remember back in John chapter 6 when Jesus had been teaching and he was speaking some things that were very hard for people to hear. And so the crowd began to disperse. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, are you going to go away too? And Peter said to him, Lord, where else can we go? We know you have the words of eternal life. Where else could we possibly go? And I think also about what John himself, the writer of this gospel, says at the end of the gospel when he says, you know, I could have written so many more things about Jesus, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing you might have life in his name. So we've been looking at different passages throughout the Gospel of John where Jesus speaks these life-giving words. And in every case, so far, it's been clear. It's been obvious the connection that Jesus is making. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the living water. Come to me, drink and, and receive life. He says, I am the bread of life. Come to me and live. I am the light of the world. 
the light of life. He says, I am the door. Enter in and live. And then last week we saw those remarkable words that Jesus spoke. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And so in all of these statements so far, there's this clear and obvious connection between what Jesus is saying and life. But here in chapter 12, we read this and, and this strikes us as strange. I mean, these are hard words. They're, they're hard to, to get. And then when we get them, they're really hard to accept. These are strong words. These are calling for something very costly. So hard, strong, strange words of Jesus. But what we're going to find out again today is that these are life-giving words. Words of life. Let me read them again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So let me just provide a little bit of background for us here. Jesus had been, in the weeks immediately prior to this, he had been uh, away, away from the city, kind of out of the public eye, on his own, just with his disciples. But now the, the great um, celebration of Passover is approaching. This time when all of the people of Israel seek to come to Jerusalem to celebrate together. And as people are traveling to and into the city of Jerusalem, there is this particular interest on the part of the common people and certainly on the part of the Jewish religious leaders as to whether or not Jesus will show up. Well, several days prior to Passover, Jesus does show up. Uh, he comes with his disciples to the little village of Bethany, which is just outside the city of Jerusalem. And his friends, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, are so glad that he's there. And so they hold a dinner in his honor. You can read about that at the beginning of chapter 12. And because Bethany is so close to Jerusalem, the word gets out back into the city that Jesus is here. And so many people... Uh, drawn by the accumulated effect of, of his teaching over time, of his influence, of his miracles, especially this recent miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. Because of that, they, they come. Uh, you can imagine this, this crowd slowly gathering in the village of Bethany, gathering around that house. They come all throughout the evening. In fact, late into the night, look back up at chapter 12, verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. So there is throughout that evening, this crowd gathering around that home in the city of Bethany. And then the next day, look at verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And what happens next is what we've come to call the triumphal entry. Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem to the loud 
acclamation of the people. And it's as Jesus enters into the city and then goes into the area of the temple that these words get spoken to the crowd that is gathered there. Once again, Jesus stands up in the, in, in the temple and he addresses the people who are there and he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, before we look closely at those words, um, we need to establish two things, two questions. Let me quickly answer. First, is Jesus reliable? Can he be trusted when he says stuff like this? And second, do words really mean anything? Is there some reality that they represent or are they just, you know, kind of puffs in the air? Let's answer those two questions. So first, is Jesus reliable? You know, Jesus is almost, almost universally recognized as a great and trustworthy teacher, a teacher of profound truth. I mean, this is the man who said things like, uh, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God's. Uh, this is the man who said things like, no man can serve two masters. This is the man who said things like, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Uh, this is the man who said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. This is the man who said things like, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. I mean, everywhere Jesus is recognized as one who speaks profound truth. And when you hear it, you know it's truth. It has the ring of truth about it. So when Jesus says, like he does here in verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, you know there are words coming that are absolutely reliable. He is fully God. And every word of God proves true. But now that second question, do words really mean anything? Do they represent something real? When Jesus speaks those words, is, is he pointing to something real in our lives? And the answer is, of course, yes. That's what Jesus wants us to get here. This is not just some kind of cute and clever saying that Jesus is offering. There's something real here that has to do with our lives now, the reason I take a little time with that is because Jesus says something here that we'd just as soon not have to hear. But since he is reliable, trustworthy, and since words point to reality, we've got to look and listen and take this seriously no matter who we are. Now, I think the best way to get right to the heart of these verses is to ask the question, is Jesus talking about himself or is he talking about us as his followers? And the answer to that question is yes, <laughs> both. So let's see what he's saying about both. First, Jesus is saying something about himself. Look again at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
Does Jesus have his own giving of his life in mind when he says that? Yes, he does. I mean, at this point in John's gospel, it's less than a week away, really just a matter of days before Jesus will be hung on a cross. And Jesus knows what's coming. Uh, he even talks about it right here in this very same chapter. Look down at verse 32. And I, Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And then John adds these words, verse 33. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows the fact of his death. He knows the manner of his death. And he's talked about it already multiple times. Most recently, in chapter 10, remember these words? Uh, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Did you happen to notice uh, the verse that is right before these verses that we're looking at this morning? Um, some Greeks who had actually come to Jerusalem as part of the Passover festival, they came to Jesus' disciples and they said, we, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus heard about this. And this is what he said, verse 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, when we think about Jesus being glorified, we usually think about his resurrection, right? Or we think about his ascension, his return to heaven. But here he's talking about his death. How is Jesus glorified in that? Well, the fact is, uh, Christ's glory, in fact, God's glory, is put on display at the cross. Uh, Christ's death is what accomplishes God's purpose to effectively provide salvation for a vast host of people. In Christ's death, the effective provision of salvation for multitudes from among all the peoples of the earth will be accomplished. That glorifies Christ. That glorifies God, the effective accomplishment of God's saving purpose, of his redemptive purpose. Look back at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The harvest, if we can continue that image, the harvest from among all of the peoples of the earth will be great. There will be much fruit. But that fruitfulness is costly. Jesus had to die. You know that song that we sing, uh, not infrequently, um, uh, how deep the Father's love for us. Listen to the second verse. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. And every time we sing that song, in my mind, I add, and many daughters. The wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons and daughters to glory. Christ's death will bear much fruit. So yes, Jesus is talking here about his own dying, but he is not speaking only of himself. Look at verse 25. Whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world 
will keep it for eternal life. And then in verse 26, we see, we see the connection between Jesus and us. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, laying down his life. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. See, we will follow him not only in dying, but then into life. You see that phrase in the middle of verse 26? Jesus says, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Does that remind you of anything? Just flip over for a moment, just one page over to chapter 14. Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says in verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. It's the exact same thing he says back in chapter 12, verse 26. And where I am, there will my servant be also. So we can see that what Jesus says in verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, uh, he, he's talking about our lives too. So the question is, what does that mean for us? Well, it means first that in order to follow Jesus, we've got to die to something. We've got to die to this kind of being in charge of our own lives, being our own gods, being our own masters. We must lay down our life in order to receive life. We've got to turn away from our own small and selfish wanting to decide how I'm going to live. You know, as, as humans, we so desperately want to preserve our autonomy. We must die to that. Uh, it reminds me of one of my all-time favorite quotes. This is from a guy named David Dixon from a couple hundred years ago who clearly understood the truth of these verses as they relate to us. Here's what he said. He said, I've taken all my good deeds and all my bad and cast them in a heap before the Lord and fled from them both. And I have betaken myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him, I have sweet peace. Do you hear that? I have taken all my good deeds I'm dying to all of that, to, to my trust in my own goodness. I've taken all my good deeds and my bad, and I've cast them in a heap before the Lord, and I have fled from them both, and I have betaken myself to the Lord Jesus Christ, and in him I have sweet peace. We lay down our self-determination. We lay down our self-justification. We die to ourselves. That is the meaning of our baptism. It represents this dying to self. This is the beginning of life in Christ. But then it doesn't stop. <laughs> we now, as followers of Christ, now we daily continue to die to ourselves. Jesus calls us to die daily to ourselves. So we choose daily to not make ourselves the focus of interest. We die to that. We choose daily to not look primarily to our own concerns. We die to that. We choose daily to not, uh, in particular moments of temptation, to just satisfy our own lusts. We die to that so that we can follow Jesus. 
you know, there are, there are several things I really wanted to say clearly, to be very clear on today. Um, here's one of them. We all stumble in many ways. And God is merciful and he will forgive our many failures. Praise God. But he will not accept deliberate compromise. So the question every one of us must ask is, what in me needs to die? Where must I die to self in my following of Jesus? Which is a really hard question to ask because dying is a hard thing to do. You see, that God is glorified through a dying is true not only for Jesus, but also for his followers. Fruitfulness is costly. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So where is God calling you as a Christian to die to self so that your life will be more fruitful? Strange words, right? But what life-giving words they are. Or as Jesus uh, on another occasion said, if, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. By which Jesus meant, let him take up his cross and live. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word today and the way that it not only speaks to our hearts, but directs our paths. Uh, God, we want to take your word seriously. And so as we hear these words, hard words in one sense, but such life-giving words, we pray that you would combine our hearing with faith so that we might walk in a way that is not only worthy of the gospel, the good news, but in a way that is for our own joy and for the good of those around us. And so God help us, we pray. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who helps us to live according to it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here, Crossway. Uh, I look forward to seeing you again next week, Lord willing. Uh, miss you very much, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, sharing more as we develop uh, our thoughts about how things are going to go, uh, go in, the, in the weeks ahead. But I trust you have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.